This, this thing's heavy, just to be honest with you. This thing weighs about 40 pounds. It's amazing. Um, and last week, we talked about the fact that some of us walk through life with a pretty heavy load. And the truth is that no matter who you are, there's just a sense of being weighed down by some pretty heavy cares in our generation. And 2020 has just done nothing but add to the weight that some of us feel. I mean, some of us feel a tremendous weight uh, because there are people who count on us for a paycheck and we, we, we want to keep them employed. Or uh, maybe some people feel a tremendous burden and a weight because of the pandemic and the disease and we're concerned and we're worried about our health and how we're going to survive this whole deal. And you just add that on top of the normal, everyday, regular worries that people have that all of us have, and you put that all together, and it just becomes a tremendous weight that some of us are carrying. And what we learned last week, just to give some of you a little bit of a kind of a catch-up, only take about 30 seconds, is that first of all, you were not wired, you were not created to carry this kind of anxiety, this kind of worry. God's intended state for your heart and for your mind is for you to be at peace. God desires for you to live a life where your heart is, is tranquil, where your soul is settled, and you are not torn apart by anxiety and worry. And we learned last week that Christ went to the cross to purchase our peace with his blood. That the first peace that had to be made is what we called eternal peace. That Christ died on a cross so that we could be at peace with God. A lot of people don't understand this, but when we, uh, before we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are actually enemies of God. But because of what he did on the cross, when we trust that by the power of his blood, we are taken from being enemies of God to being friends of God, to being the family of God, to being inside his family. And that takes a huge burden off of us because the greatest burden that any of us ever have is the burden of our sin. And we lay that down and we give it to Jesus. But the truth is this, okay? Some of you in this room would say, you know what, Bob? I know for certain that I've done that. I have asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I am tracking with that. Um, I, I'm, I'm on target with that. But I still feel anxious and I, I'm overwhelmed by worry and I'm concerned and I have all this stuff that just feels like it's on my back. There's this pressure. So how does that kind of peace relate? And that's the second kind of peace that we're going to talk about today. And I refer to that as internal peace. We have eternal peace with God, but then there is internal peace. The, the sense of that, that there's something right with my heart, that there's something settled in my soul. And that's what I want us to talk about today. The, the question is, how do I take off all of this worry and anxiety and how do I unpack God's peace in my life? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 is going to give us a bit of a road map. Here's what that verse of Scripture tells us. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, here's a question that I have for you to sort of begin this time together. And that is, what is it that really steals your peace? What is it that unsettles you? What, what is it that is the peace thief in your life? 
Let me give you three examples of things that steal our peace, and there's some scripture to back this up. But the first thing that obviously steals our peace is difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances, things that we walk through, maybe unexpected things that come into our life, seems to, to steal our peace. I think Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 20 could be the theme verse of 2020. Disaster follows disaster. The whole land lies in ruins. In an instant, my tents are destroyed, my shelter in a moment. Disaster follows disaster. Remember back in March, April, May, June, it seemed like one thing happened after another. It was just like one calamity after another. Those kind of difficult circumstances will steal our peace. The second thing that steals our peace, and let's just be honest about this, okay? The second thing that steals our peace is frustrating people. Do not look at that person next to you. Don't, do, don't look at somebody, okay? Don't point for sure, all right? Don't do that, all right? But let's be honest. Frustrating people often steal our peace. You know, sometimes it's not even, it's people you just can't figure out. Like, I haven't done anything to this person and they seem to have an ax to grind with me. It's not like somebody that you've had a conflict with sometimes. Sometimes it's like, this person just doesn't like me. I've not done anything to them. Psalm 109 verse 3 says, They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they act as my accusers, but I am in prayer. The guy who wrote that psalm says, you know what? I'm praying about this. I'm taking it to the Lord, and nothing seems to make it better. Frustrating people steal our peace. And the third peace thief is uncontrollable worry. Now, some of you have tremendous, tremendous anxiety. Some of, some of you that I'm speaking to, and, and I want you to know there's no shame in this, you, you have a, a sense of clinical anxiety. And I want to say to you, take your medicine, listen to your doctor, do the right thing, but trust God too. But for some of us, it may not be on a clinical level. But it just seems like that we, we worry about things that we think uh, are out of our control. I have a news flash for you. There is nothing that is under your control. I mean, the whole world is out of your control. We have this illusion of control sometimes. And the truth is, there's very, very little that I really am in control of. Now, here's what I want to ask you. In those three categories, what is it that steals your peace? What is it? that really causes you to be a sort of a, a chaos in your soul, that your heart is unsettled. Because I believe that if you identify that one thing, you can apply the next four principles to it. What is it that, that steals my peace and how can I confront that? Let me give you the four uh, ingredients in this roadmap or this recipe to find peace. Here's the first. Run to God's presence. Run to God's presence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice. Rejoice. Now that is counterintuitive if you are overwhelmed with worry and anxiety and concern. What in the world do I have to rejoice about? I've lost all these things. I, I've had all this stuff taken away from me. I'm on the brink of financial disaster. How in the world could I possibly rejoice? I'm going to tell you the first ingredient in this recipe is to run into God's presence, to rejoice. In Philippians 4.4, the Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, at all times, in every circumstance. Rejoice in the Lord. What does that mean? 
It means to praise and worship God, to praise him for who he is, that he is our provider, that he is our deliverer, he is our savior, he is our sustainer, he is our protector, to rejoice in who God is and to be thankful for what he has done. I think in 2020, it's been very, very easy for us to complain. It's been easy for me, at least, to complain about what I sense has been taken away or to kind of gripe about what I can't do rather than to be thankful for all that God's provided. It's really easy for me. And when I do that, what I need to do is turn my heart toward rejoicing in the Lord. I need to turn my heart toward worshiping him. There is power and there is peace in God's presence. I have a confession to make that I am, I am a bit of an anxious traveler. I, I, do, I have anxiety when I travel, especially when I travel without my wife and now without my daughter. I just get worried about them. I, 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 somehow I think if, that, if I'm here, nothing bad's going to happen. Like that's real. I mean, it's not. Um, but if, if I'm on my way on a trip, you know, these bad things could happen. And, and I, I go to a kind of a worst case scenario thing in my mind. Well, a few years ago, I started going to Romania to teach at a university over there for a week. And the first couple of times I went, Marianne didn't go with me. And, and so we learned of one of the hazards of international travel, especially if you're like me and you want to talk to her. And that is that, that you run up a huge international calling phone bill. It is not cheap to talk on the phone uh, internationally. I'm, we, we pretty much broke the bank the first year. Like, okay, we got to figure out something different. So the next time we had this deal, I'm like, okay, we're going to make these phone calls really, really short, okay? We're going to talk, but it'll be really brief. Like, I'll ask you how things are going, and you tell me if there's anything you really need to tell me. You kind of be prepared for the phone call on your end, and I'll be prepared for the phone call on my end. We'll get this done really quick. And so Mary and I got on the phone. I said, how are you? Are you doing okay? Yes. How are you? Are you doing okay? Yeah. I'll tell you about all of it when I get home, okay? Callie wants to talk to you. Hi, Daddy. Daddy, guess what? No, guess and I'm like, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I mean, the money is just racking up, okay? But here's the funny thing. When I would get off the phone on those phone calls, I would, I would be settled. I'd have a lot more peace. Now, here's what I'm telling you. If that is true with just a phone call with my wife and daughter, how much more is it true if I experience the presence of a loving father who wants to embrace me and who wants to strengthen me and encourage me? The Bible tells us that God brings peace into the life of those who are steadfastly connected to him. Isaiah 26 verse 3, the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. So run into God's presence. I would say this, I know that some of you are watching us on Facebook Live or our webcast right now. There is a difference between watching worship and worshiping. And by the way, you can do that in the room too. You can just show up, check off the list. Hey, I came and I watched worship. This kind of peace is produced when you actively worship. And even in your living room, you can actively worship. Sing along with the songs, read along with the scripture, actively listen. Don't, don't have the TV on in the background or the live feed on in the background while you're doing three other things. It's not going to help you. But here's what will help you if you will actively engage in worship. So run to God's presence. Second, respect God's principles. 
If you want to know peace in your life, respect God's principles. The second phrase in 2 Corinthians 13, 11 is this, be made complete. Be made complete. That is that allow God to work in your life and do a work of maturity in your life. And maturity is manifested in two specific ways. First of all, spiritual maturity is always manifested in obedience. When we obey the Lord, there is great peace. When I disobey the Lord, there is no peace. I mean, that is just a reality. It's not that peace is somehow something you earn through obedience. It's that peace is a byproduct of the life God intended for us to live. Psalm 119 verse 165 says, Those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Very simply put, let me just give a simple illustration. The Bible makes it very specific that we should not bear false witness against our neighbor. In other words, don't lie. Tell the truth, right? Well, if you kind of get in a situation where you're fudging the truth over here and you're not telling exactly the truth to this person and you tell this person over here a little different story, then all of a sudden you got to keep your story straight. You got to figure out what I said to this person and what I said to this person and how they contradicted and I can't let them know I'm telling this person this and you are in turmoil. Honesty would have been very much more straightforward and you would have had peace if you were honest. By the same token, I am absolutely convinced that God gives us specific instructions and the blessing of obeying is a sense of peace. God gives us specific instructions on what we're to do with our money, how we're to handle our finances, how we're to give. And the funny thing is that when I give the way that God tells me to give, when I when I am a faithful steward of the money that God's granted me, when I give a tithe and when I do those things, I have great peace. But I grow very anxious over my finances and over my future when I'm not honoring the Lord with what he's given me. Peace is a byproduct of obedience. Secondly, God not only wants us to walk in obedience, he wants us to walk in faith. Maturity being made complete means that I walk by faith. Now, here's how this plays into the aspect of peace. There are some very specific areas where God speaks to us and he says, don't do this or do this. Don't steal. Do not commit adultery. Those are things you don't have to pray about, okay? They're just black and white. It's a reality. It's a yes or no. You're either obedient or disobedient. But here's the truth. I have some areas of life. As a matter of fact, I have a lot of areas of my life where I'm making decisions and I don't have a Bible verse for that. For some of our high school students, should I go to college? Should I join the military? Where should I go to college? What should I major in? Who should I marry? Should I even date this person? Much less before we get to marriage, should I even date this person? Um, where should I try to find a job? Where should I live? I'm asking all these sort of questions. When I get into maybe adulthood, I'm asking another set of questions. I'm asking should we buy this house? Should we invest in this? I mean, is this a good move for us? I'm asking all kinds of questions. And sometimes the, there's not a Bible verse that like, yeah, you should do this. Should I go into business? Should I work for somebody else? There's not a Bible verse for that. So how do you make those kind of calls? Here's what the Bible says. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, I want you to look at this verse. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. The word rule there is the word for umpire. It's like a sports official. Yesterday, I'm watching a football game. I'm watching my Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, they actually won a game. It's a big deal for us now when we actually win something. But there was, a, there was a play where my quarterback throws a pass into the end zone. Receive, my receiver catches the football, but there was a big question of, did he get a foot down in bounds? Was he in bounds or was he out of bounds? Of course, he catches the ball and everybody in orange and white goes, touchdown, touchdown, absolutely. Everybody in black and gold from that private college in Nashville, they are waving their, no, no, absolutely. He's out of bounds, out of bounds. There's only one person that can make that call. The, the teams are never going to agree, was it a touchdown or not, Right. The official has to make the call. Is it inbounds or out of bounds? <clears throat> Here's what Paul is saying. Let the peace of God be the umpire on decisions like that. Here's the way that works. I'm faced with a decision. I have something I have to decide on. I say, God, I'm feeling like this is the right idea, but I'm asking you to either give me peace or not. And if I don't have peace about this, I'm going to trust that it's not what you want for me. This is not a decision about sin or righteousness. This is a decision about God's will, God's best for my life. And so I'm saying, God, I want to make the right call. I want to do the right thing. I want to do what's best for the life you have for me. So if you give me peace about it, I'll know it's the right thing. And if you don't, then I'll know it's the wrong thing. I'll give you an example of how this worked in my life. Short, I'll try to shorten the story. <clears throat> Back in 1995... 25 years ago, hard for me to believe now, I was called by a pastor search committee uh, of a church in Louisiana, and the church had had one senior pastor. He had been there for 30 years, and I was 30 years old. Now, he's been the pastor of this church longer than I've been breathing air. So every one of my counselors, I mean wise men, godly men, mentors, said, Bob, don't do this. Nobody does this and succeeds. By the way, there are statistics and studies. Nobody does this and succeeds. It's true. It's very rare. The problem was this. When I wanted to tell them no, and you could ask my wife in interviews, I put up a couple of roadblocks and I looked, I, I remember getting in a car with her one day after the interview and I can, sweetheart, don't worry about it. We're not going to Louisiana. They won't do what I ask them to do. They called me two weeks later and said, Bob, we took care of that. Okay, you coming? I mean, like, I was like, oh, wow. But every time I tried to get away from it, I didn't have peace. And every time I leaned into it, I had more peace. Eventually, I had to say, I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit, who produces the fruit of the Spirit, is producing peace in my life. So if I follow that, if I let the peace of God rule, if I let him umpire what's going on in my life, that I'm going to lean toward yes here. I did it, and it was one of the best decisions that Marianne and I ever made in our lives, even though everybody else told us not to do it. And here's what I want to say to you. Now, this is not a decision about right and wrong. When God has spoken, you can't play the peace card. Like God told me to cheat on my wife. No, he did not. You don't have peace about that. And if you have peace about adultery, then you're not saved. Just put that bluntly. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
This is a decision about good and best. And between good and best, I believe God will give you peace. You let the peace of God rule in your heart. So I want to run to God's presence. I want to respect God's principles. And I want to rest on God's provision. One of my favorite passages about this kind of internal peace, peace in my heart, peace of mind, a settled soul, is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, commit your concerns to God. Leave them with him and he will grant you a peace that defies human logic. He will give you a peace that other people could never possibly comprehend. The Gallup organization that does polling has done the same poll for the last several years. And it's about mental health and well-being. How, how, do you, how is your well-being? Do you feel better about your life? Do you feel like your mental health, your emotional health is good? They just released it this past week. It's a very interesting survey because, as you can imagine, in 2020, it's down. Fewer people feel like they're doing really well mentally and emotionally uh, than they were doing in the past. This is true of Democrats and Republicans and Independents. It's true of people who made very little money, people who make a lot of money. It was true of people who were young. It was true of people who were old. It was true of people uh, who, who had a lot of differences in life. There was only one group out of all these questions on this survey, there was only one group that said they felt that they were doing emotionally better than they had done in the past. The category of people who said they went to church, they attended worship once a week. And not once a month, not once a year, those were all down. But people who attended worship weekly, people who were anxious for nothing, but they prayed about their concerns, they were receiving a peace that surpasses all human understanding. And so I want to rest on God's provision and fourth, I want to rely on God's people. I want to rely on God's people. In verse 11, be like-minded, live in peace. The word like-minded there is the word that is translated to be of one accord in Acts chapter 2. It means to be together in unity with the family of God. God gave us the church to help bear the burden of our worries and our fears and our anxieties. You were not meant to go alone. In the very first pages of creation, God looked down at the man that he had created, Adam. And the only time God said something wasn't good in creation was when he looked at Adam and he said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Some of us men have never learned the lesson of Genesis chapter 2. Men Men more so than ladies. Ladies tend to understand that they need to share their burdens with one another and bear one another's burdens. Men, we don't do this well. But I want you to hear what the writer of Ecclesiastes said. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. This is why God gave us the church. Now, when I say that, I don't want you to be confused. 
I don't mean this is why God gave us a building. It's certainly not why God gave us an organization or a denomination. That's not the, that's not the church that I'm talking about. This is why God gave us the family of God. This is why God gave us other people to help us bear our burdens, to come alongside us and comfort us when we sorrow, when, to encourage us when we're downhearted, to help bear the load of life. That's why God gave us the church. And that's why you ought to invest your life in the church. It's why you ought to be plugged into a life group. It's why you ought to be actively engaged in worship. It's why you ought to be serving somewhere in the church. Because when you have a load of, of burden, of anxiety and, and fears and concerns on your back, it's your brothers and sisters in Christ that will come and lock arms with you and say, I'm going to help you up this hill. And you'll help me up the next one. God has given us a pathway to peace. Run to his presence in rejoicing. Respect his principles. Rest on his provision of peace and rely on God's people. You know, Jesus promised that in this world, he said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. We're going to have concerns. We don't get the Disneyland life where everything's carefree. Nobody ever promised us a carefree life. But here's what Jesus did promise us. He promised us that if we would come to him, he would pick up our burden. And here's what he, he said. He said, come to me. All of you who are burdened, who have, this, who have this weight on your shoulders, come to me and I'll give you rest. Listen to those verses. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. That's why some of you came to church today. Some of you came to church today going, I, I just need something to give me some peace, some peace of mind, some peace in my soul. And Jesus offers it to you. Now, for some of you who are believers, it means that you need to start walking by faith, by rejoicing, by leaning on other members of, of your, your life group and your congregation, not going it alone. Those are the principles that I gave you. But for some of you, you came here looking for peace, and what you need is a person, and his name is Jesus. And he comes to offer you the gift of his grace. He died on a cross for you to take the greatest burden that you could possibly ever bear, the burden of your sin. Jesus took that. The Bible says that he took our sins upon himself. He bore our sins in his body. He died for your sins. He rose from the grave to give you a new life, a life you could have never imagined. Not carefree, for sure, but a life in which you always have him with you. He'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Would you bow your heads, please? All over this room with, with your head bowed. Maybe in this moment, you, do, you came here, you went, God, I just need peace. Would you just call out to him and say that? Maybe silently where you are, say, God, I need peace. I'm asking you for peace. For some of you, it means that you need to say, God, I don't have peace. And I'm asking you to grant me peace for my soul. Lord, I want to be at peace with you. And I'm asking you this morning to come into my life.
I turn from my sin. I turn to Jesus. And I give him my life. Father, I pray for those who would pray a prayer like that. That today would be a day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name, amen.